Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler, and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. For us this morning, if you have a Bible, open it up to Jeremiah chapter 33. Jeremiah chapter 33. If you don't have a Bible, there are hardback black Bibles under the chair in front of you. You can grab one of those. If you're using one of those, you're going to want to turn to page 662. And as you're turning there, I'd like you to listen to the words of Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of the Lord with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This morning, as we begin to celebrate Advent together, if you're new with us today, then Advent may be a little bit new to you. But each year in this season between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we celebrate the season of Advent. And I know that's new for a lot of people. Personally, I I didn't celebrate Advent growing up myself in the church, but I've come to love this season where we pause and and reflect on what Christmas is truly about. If you didn't know, the word Advent simply is a translation of the Latin word Adventus, which is simply the translation of a Greek word, parousia, which means coming. Advent is all about coming. We celebrate Advent to celebrate the coming of Christ. When we talk about celebrating this season of Advent, we're talking about the celebration of Jesus coming to earth 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. That's what we celebrate at Advent. So while this may feel a little bit new to you, the reality is that it's an old, it's an ancient and historically orthodox celebration. Advent goes all the way back to the earliest Christians. We've got written records from 380 AD of people celebrating Advent. For nearly 2,000 years, Christians have done this. And and so we're going to, over the next few weeks, join our brothers and sisters who have come before us and pause to celebrate Advent together. So often, this season between Thanksgiving and New Year's can pull us in a dozen different directions all at the same time. We get easily distracted. We begin to focus on the activities of the season, food and festivities, gifts, decorations, music, memories, the holiday traditions that we reenact each year. I don't know about y'all, but my calendar has been filling up and it, it just seems to happen. I didn't plan for it. We just get so busy this time of year. And by themselves, none of those things that we do in this four or five week stretch, none of them are bad things. In fact, many of them are good things. But somehow along the way, as we're, we're doing all that stuff, we, we can take our eyes off of what we're trying to celebrate during this season. We get so distracted, and, and if we're not careful, Jesus, he unintentionally moves to the back burner 
of this busy and festive season. And so if we're going to celebrate Christ the way we want to, we're going to have to be intentional. And and that's what Advent is all about. Advent is meant to help us to be intentional about celebrating the arrival of Jesus. So that's what we're going to do for the next five Sundays. As a church together, we're going to be intentional as we celebrate the coming of Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about hope. But in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about love and joy and peace and Jesus himself. Each week, we'll have an intentional focus, and today's focus is on hope. And that's why I started with Psalm 42 a moment ago. Because I don't know about you, but, but so often, I find my hope is waning. So often, I need the reminder of verse 5 that says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And and why are you in in turmoil within me? Hope in God. I need that reminder. Our hope is in God. And and to see why that is, we're going to look at the passage that that Tim read for us a few moments ago. Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 through 18. But before we dive into the text, I'd, I'd like to just take a moment and pray. Can we do that? Let's pray. Lord God, you are good. And you do good to us. God, as we open up your word together and look to Jeremiah, would you speak to us? Would you help us to see that our hope is in you? That our hope isn't in all the things that are going to happen in the next few weeks. Our hope is in you. Our hope is in the fact that you keep your promises We can trust you. We can rely on you. So God, as we look to this word from thousands of years ago. Would you help us to see it with fresh eyes and let it speak into our hearts that the promises you made to Jeremiah are promises you kept in Jesus. And so we have a true and lasting supreme hope. God, would you speak to us today? Let us hear from you. We we need this word of encouragement. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Hope is a powerful thing. When times are hard, when when all seems lost, hope is what enables us to endure. Hope, the the belief that circumstances will get better, the, the certain knowledge that things will get better, no matter how big or how small, is an incredibly powerful thing. And at this time of year, there's this easy temptation we face to place our hope in a lot of things. Sometimes those hopes are smaller things. We may hope to receive that perfect gift. We may hope that our holiday celebrations are filled with fun and family and friends. We may hope that the Hallmark Channel finally learns how to make a new plot line for one of their Christmas movies. Like, those are are smaller hopes. But sometimes our hopes are bigger. We may hope that the doctors are finally able to cure our chronic health issues. We may hope that we're finally able to make ends meet. We may hope that that family member that's been been estranged from us for for years is finally restored to us. There are a lot of things in this life in which we may be tempted to place our hope and in this season that's built around hope and expectation. In in a season that seems to make us pay so much more attention to our hope, I, I think will be helped if we begin by being reminded that our greatest hope, our surest hope, our most supreme hope is not in any of those things. 
I think we'll be helped if we begin by being reminded that our supreme hope is found in our God who keeps his promises. Today, as we look at Jeremiah chapter 33, that's the one big idea that I'd like you to walk away with today. That our supreme hope is found in our God who keeps his promises. But in order to see that in this text, I think we'll be helped if we know a little bit of what's going on here in Jeremiah. After all, we're, we're jumping into the middle of a very long book. Like we're halfway through here. But the prophet Jeremiah, he was born in about 650 or so uh, BC. A lot of scholars think that he's about the same age as King Josiah, who was the last faithful king of Judah. His father was named Hilkiah. Hilkiah was the high priest who served under Josiah. And in fact, in 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23, you can read about how Hilkiah, at the command of King Josiah, led many of the spiritual reforms in Judah. But despite his heritage, Jeremiah had a tough ministry. Some people have referred to him as the weeping prophet. Throughout the book of Jeremiah, we, we get the picture that his neighbors, his close relatives, even his brothers were constantly attacking him. He wasn't popular, but he was faithful. Jeremiah received his call to be a prophet when he was in his late teens or early 20s. We're not really sure. The text tells us that he was still a youth when he received the call. And when he received the call, it was one of those calls where I gotta be honest, as a pastor, if I received the call that Jeremiah received, I wouldn't be here. Because God calls him into ministry, but he says, hey, I'm going to put you before these people and they're not going to listen to you. Who wants that? But Jeremiah is faithful. And so he takes this call and, and he begins his ministry and he served the Lord for more than 40 years. When he began, there was relative peace. King Josiah's reign was a good time for Judah. King Josiah reigned for the first 18 years of Jeremiah's ministry, but but things weren't as good as, as you might be tempted to think as you looked at things. The northern kingdom, Israel, had already fallen to the Assyrian Empire. And at home, Judah, Judah was revolting and, and resisting the reforms that King Josiah and Hilkiah were working to implement. After Josiah's death, things only got worse. The kings who followed him, the Bible says they were all evil. They only did what was evil in the sight of the Lord the country was in rapid decline. And as we come to Jeremiah chapter 33, Judah is about to fall. Jerusalem has been under siege by Babylon for months. Nebuchadnezzar has Jerusalem completely surrounded. Jeremiah is locked in prison because he told King Zedekiah that the Lord was giving Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. In less than a year from the moment we're looking at right here, the city will be sacked. The temple will be destroyed. Zedekiah's sons will all be dead. And after slaughtering his sons in front of him, they'll gouge out King Zedekiah's eyes and they will haul him off to Babylon as a prisoner. These are dark and hopeless days in Jerusalem. But in the middle of all of that, the Lord speaks to Jeremiah. And he speaks words of hope and comfort. In fact, Chapters 30 through 33 in the book of Jeremiah, they make up a section that's known as the book of comfort. Even as, as their world is crumbling around them, Jeremiah is reminded he has hope. 
He's reminded that our supreme hope is found in our God who keeps his promises. And that's what we're going to see in this text. So as we look at these verses, the first thing I'd like you to note is that our hope begins by remembering God's promises. Remember God's promises. Take a look at verse 14. The Bible says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise that I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, now you've got to recognize that Jeremiah is in about as bad a spot as he could be right here. His own king has locked him in prison. That prison is surrounded by this overwhelming, massive enemy. He's in a bad spot. And it would be so easy for Jeremiah to despair. But God begins here by telling him that the present moment isn't the final moment. He says, behold, the days are coming. This isn't it. This isn't the time to give up. When life has gone completely sideways, in moments where we feel like we are most in need of hope, I don't know about you, but I find that our natural inclination is despair. Maybe that's just me. Maybe you guys don't deal with this, but, but I find that like in those moments where I most need hope, my natural inclination is to assume the worst. My natural inclination is to think I am going to lose here. I'm drawn into despair. It's so easy for us to lose track of the bigger picture. But sometimes the best thing we can do if we want to have a sure and secure hope is to remember that the picture is bigger than right now. God tells Jeremiah, behold, the days are coming when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. God hasn't left you here in this spot to abandon you. He's going to fulfill. He's going to keep his promises. That's what he's telling Jeremiah. We need to remember that though too. Now, here in this text, he's talking about the promise that he made to King David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, which is why the promise is to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. God made this promise 400 years before Jeremiah's life. But on the surface, you have to recognize this, this seems impossible. After all, the, the house of Israel doesn't even exist anymore. It's gone. But impossible for us doesn't mean impossible for God. And God made the promise. So it's sure. Keep reading at verse 15. The Bible says, In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. God made a promise. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, he promised King David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And then as he concludes that promise in verse 16, he says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God made a promise. But in the midst of hardship, 
But when everything's gone sideways, sometimes we forget. Sometimes we lose track. But what is it that causes us to forget? What is it that causes us to to doubt or lose track? I, I know one of the primary causes is timing. We don't see it in the moment. We don't see it when we expect it, and so we forget or, or we lose hope. The 12 tribes had been divided into two kingdoms since David's grandson, Jer- or Re- Rehoboam, had taken the throne. Israel had fallen to the Assyrians less than a century before this moment to Jeremiah as he's thinking about these promises. I, I'm sure it felt to him like it, it was impossible The timing didn't work. But what does God say to him there in verse 15? He says, in those days and at that time. What does he say in verse 16? He says, in those days. Like when we think about God's promises, we have to remember we're working in God's timing, not ours. The days are coming, God says. Now we don't get to pick those days. He's already decided when they're going to be but they're sure they will happen. When we're in the midst of of those seasons where we need hope, when when we're there where, where we need the hope and security that the promises of God provide, we have to remember we're not operating in our timing, we're operating in his. So often when we operate in our timing, what do we try to do? When we don't see God move how we want him to move, when when God doesn't act the way we want him to act, when, when God doesn't keep his promise in the time that we want him to keep his promise, what do we do? I think if you're like most of us, you, you step in and you, you, you try to do it for him. You step in and you try to be God for him. And in one sense or another, that's what led to the situation that Judah and Jerusalem and Jeremiah are in right here. 2 Kings 24 and 25, they they tell the story. You can also see it at the end of Jeremiah. It's actually the same exact thing, but King Zedekiah was, was a puppet king. He had been established on his throne by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had come in before and he had deposed King Zedekiah's nephew and put Zedekiah on the throne. But but Zedekiah, he wanted to be free. He wanted Judah and Jerusalem to dwell securely, but he wanted it in his timing. And so what did he do? He rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, which resulted in Nebuchadnezzar coming back with his army, surrounding the city, sieging the city, and ultimately the fall of Jerusalem happened because King Zedekiah wanted it his way. When we don't see God act in our timing, when we don't see God do what we want him to do when we want him to do it, when we don't see him fulfill his promises when and how we want him to do it, so often our inclination is to do it ourselves. But here's the problem with that. When we try to keep God's promises for him, when it's dependent on us to act, when it's dependent on us to do something, to make it happen, that means there's a chance that we might fail. There's a chance that we won't keep the promise. And there's no hope in that. 
It's not sure. It's not secure. But if, if the promise is dependent on God to act, if we need God to work, to move, then the promise is sure. It's as good as done. And that means there's hope in that. Look at verse 16 one more time. Because as you do, I think you'll, you'll see that's, that's how it reads. The Bible says, in those days, Judah will be saved. It, it doesn't say might be saved. It will be saved. It's, it's as good as done. And Jerusalem will dwell securely. It's going to happen. And this is by the name by which it will be called. There's no doubt in this. It's going to happen. They're going to call it, the Lord is our righteousness. The promise is so sure, so reliable, so trustworthy that you can bet the bank on it because it's God's promise. There's coming a day, God's telling Jeremiah, where God's promise will be fulfilled in such a way that the reputation, the way that the city of Jerusalem is known to the outside world is by the name, the Lord is our righteousness. The people will be so righteous before the Lord that they'll be known by that. That's the name they'll be called. It's going to happen. When you're in one of those seasons where you need hope, when you're in one of those seasons where you feel like Jeremiah, locked in prison, surrounded by an overwhelming enemy who seeks not just to destroy you, but everything you have, everything you know, everything you love, when you're in that season where you feel like your world is crumbling all around you, remember God's promises. Promises like I will never leave you or forsake you. Promises like come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Promises like I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me and I lay down my life for the sheep. Promises like I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Promises like, I am with you always to the end of the age. When you find yourself in that season where you're lacking hope and you need hope and you're dependent on hope, remember God's promises. But don't just remember God's promises. Trust them. Trust God's promises. That's the second thing I want you to take out of this text. As the Lord continues to speak through Jeremiah, he continues by reiterating the promise that he made to David. He reiterates the promise of 2 Samuel chapter 7. And it's almost like he's saying it in such a way that he wants us to know that it's not just enough to remember the promises. You have to trust the promise as well. Parents in the room, you've, you've done this with your kids, right? You've made a promise to your kids and, and maybe you're, you're keeping it. You're, that promise is sure you are gonna keep it, but they're doubting you're gonna keep it. And so what do you do? I said, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. Trust me. That's kind of what's happening here. He's reiterating the promise. Take a look at verse 17. 
The Bible says, for thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, to make sacrifices forever. God reiterates the promise. He said it again so that it will sink in. But he didn't just reiterate the promise. You see that, right? Like he, he added on to the promise. Not only will a Davidic king reign forever, but a Levitical priest will make sacrifices forever. And as we read that, we're forced to pause for just a moment. Because intellectual honesty means that we need to acknowledge something about the promises we're seeing right here. Right? It's 2022. There hasn't been a man sitting on David's throne for more than 2,000 years. There haven't been priests in God's presence offering sacrifices since 70 AD when the Romans destroyed the temple. So God's saying that there's a promise here. God's saying David's offspring will reign forever. There will be a priest serving in my presence forever. And in the face of Jeremiah 33, 17 and 18, we have to pause and, and, and recognize that presents us with a bit of a problem. What do we do with that? Well, there's, there's really three possibilities here. First, God changed his mind. That's the first possibility. He decided to revoke his promise. He decided he wasn't going to keep the promise that he made. And the problem with that is that the Bible actually tells us that God doesn't do that. The Bible tells us God doesn't change his mind. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. God doesn't change his mind. So that possibility isn't really possible. The second possibility is that Jeremiah was a false prophet. He was speaking his own words in God's name. And the problem with that is that Jeremiah lived long enough to see many of his own prophecies fulfilled. That, that's why this book is in the canon of scripture. Jeremiah is not a false prophet. And that means that that option doesn't really work either. So that leaves us with, with a third option. Third possibility. And that's that this promise is a promise of a better, greater king. This promise is a promise of a better, greater priest. The third possibility is that these promises are a promise pointing to the Messiah. That they're a promise pointing to Jesus himself. Now, look at the specifics of these two promises one more time. In verse 17, the Lord promises that David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Now, what is that promise? That's a promise of continued kingship, continued reign. It's another way of saying that David's throne shall be established forever. Now, look at Jesus's lineage. If we trace Jesus's lineage through his earthly parents, Jesus was descended from David. He's the fulfillment of this promise. In Revelation 22, 16, Jesus said, I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus is the righteous branch to spring up from David. Jesus is the better, greater king 
who because of his holiness, because of his perfect sinless life, because of his substitutionary death, where he died on the cross for our sins in our place, because of all of that, he is actually able to execute justice and righteousness in the land. Jesus is the one who can bring Judah and Jerusalem and the whole earth to dwell securely. This kingly promise is a promise pointing straight to Jesus. But what I want you to recognize is that the second promise is pointing to Jesus as well. Look at verse 18. It says, And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. Now recognize here in in verse 18, that that phrase Levitical priest, those two words being paired together, that's kind of an odd thing in the Old Testament. You see it right here in Jeremiah and you see it a little bit over in the book of Deuteronomy, but outside of that, you you don't really see that word pairing. And that should grab our attention. When we pair that with the fact that in Jeremiah's day, the priesthood was incredibly corrupt. Like Jeremiah is constantly calling out the priests for failing to lead the people to know, love, and faithfully serve the Lord. It, it, It seems quite likely that this reference to Levitical priests here is meant to be a reference to priests who serve rightly. The priests of Jeremiah's day were illegitimate. They were not living out the mandate that the Lord had given them to serve him. But the Lord was promising that there would be a day where there would always be a legitimate priest. The promise is that there would be a day where there will always be a priest who is worthy to serve who rightly serves, who's always in God's presence, making intercessions for the people as they worship the Lord. And Jesus is that high priest. The book of Hebrews tells us that. It tells us that Jesus has entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption for us. It tells us that Jesus is the better great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness. It tells us that he is the better great high priest who always lives to make intercession for us. It tells us that he's the better great high priest who gives us access to the Father so that we can draw near to him with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Jesus is the priest who lives forever. He's the fulfillment of this promise. These two promises here in these two verses, they're pointing us straight to Jesus. And as we see that, we can look at Jesus and we can recognize that the promise has been kept. And as we begin to recognize that the promise has been kept, that that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that there would always be a man to sit on David's throne to execute justice and righteousness. As we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that there will always be a priest who is gonna faithfully serve in God's presence for us, who will lead us into the throne room of the Father as we see that he is the fulfillment of those promises for us we can see that that we can trust God's promises. As Christians today, our hope, our, our supreme hope, it's found in our God who keeps his promises. 
So we remember God's promises. And we trust God's promises. And when we do that, we find a sure and lasting hope. We find a hope that isn't rocked by the seasons. We find a hope that isn't influenced by the outcomes of elections. We find a hope that isn't dependent on the size of our savings account. A hope that isn't swayed by the state of our health. We find a supreme hope. Like church, if you hear nothing else today, hear me on this. Our supreme hope is found in our God who keeps his promises. Nothing else. Nothing else will give us the hope we need but our God. If you find yourself feeling like you're you're out of hope, remember that. I don't know where I picked up the habit. It's happened in the last three or four or five years, but if you hang out with me enough, you're going to hear me at one point or another say something to the effect of, my hope isn't in fill in the blank. If I can be perfectly transparent with you, I think the most recent time I said it, my hope isn't in elections, right? My hope isn't in who wins the presidency. Why do I do that? That's my way of reminding myself where my hope lies. It's my way of saying, Josh, my hope isn't in these things. My hope is found in my God who keeps his promises. It's my way of reminding myself to remember Psalm 42.5. It's my way of saying, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. That's where your hope lies. On Thursday, we celebrated Thanksgiving. Most of us took the day to enjoy good food and friends and family and fellowship. I think a lot of us took some time to pause and take stock, to to look at what God has blessed us with and, and all the things that we have to be thankful for. That was Thursday. But then Friday came. Black Friday, the day where we all go out like crazy people and buy all kinds of things we don't need because it's on sale, why not? And with that, the Christmas season has begun in earnest. I'm sure you're all keeping track, but in case you aren't, there are 28 days till Christmas. This season is going to grab you and it's gonna keep you busy. The season is going to pull you in a dozen different directions all at the same time. And on top of that, a lot of us are walking into the season with a whole lot of baggage from beforehand. The truth is, Christmas, it, it's, it's a season that's busy and hard. But what if it doesn't have to be that way? What if the season could actually be a blessing What if it's actually an encouragement? What if it's actually a season of hope? That's why we're celebrating Advent together. Hope, love, joy, peace, Christ. 
That's what we celebrate at Advent. Today, we've been talking about hope. And, and wherever you're at in the spectrum of hope, whether you're hopeful or hopeless or, or somewhere in between, wherever you're at on that spectrum, as we begin to celebrate Advent together, let me encourage you to take a moment each day to be reminded of your hope. Maybe when you go out in the crowds and it's just overwhelming, that, that gift you wanted to purchase for somebody isn't available. Amazon says it's going to arrive three days after Christmas. Remind yourself, my hope doesn't lie in Amazon. My hope is in my God who keeps his promises. As we begin to celebrate Advent together, take a moment each day and remind yourself of that, where your hope comes from, where it truly lies, because your hope does not lie in the next 28 days. Our hope, our, our supreme hope, it's found in our God who keeps his promises. Go out and enjoy the season. Have fun. Celebrate, but don't place your hope in this season. Place your hope in God. Remember his promises. Trust his promises and then celebrate Jesus. Because truly, truly, that's the greatest promise that God ever kept. It was when he sent his son for us. That's where our hope lies. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word of encouragement given to a beaten down, discouraged prophet sitting in a jail cell in the middle of a city surrounded by a pagan army about to see everything he knows just melt before him. But even in the midst of hard, God, your word stands sure and you promised hope. And you kept that promise, God. You didn't keep it in, in Jeremiah's timing. You kept it in your timing. So God, as, as we go about this season, would you help us to remember that? Would you help us to remember your promises? That you keep your promises and then to trust in those promises. Would you help us to remember that even if it seems impossible for us, it's not impossible for you. You are our God of hope. Let us be a people who rejoice that we have hope in you. God, I ask that you would make this season to be a season where we radiate that hope to others. The hope we have in Jesus. Do that for us today, God. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.